Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I interview my friend, Jason Wyman. He's a buddy of mine that I know from the OCVR meetup community, a community I founded a number of years ago when I backed a headset on Oculus and my mind was blown. He was one of the first guys a part of it, and he's been a part of every hackathon that we've thrown and a lot of events. And he is amazing uh, in terms of teaching people how to build uh, video games or VR games and um, all inside Unity. He's got his own YouTube channel with a big following. He does a ton of talks about this. Um, and so he's got a lot of great information to share on how to get up and running with game dev. And I'm, I haven't talked to him in a while, so I'm so excited to bring on my friend, Jason Wyman. Hey, Dylan. Hey, th thanks for having me on here, man. I I'm pretty excited, too. Like I said, we haven't talked in quite a while, so I'm kind of pumped to get caught up on what, what I've been doing and what you've been doing and just talk about all the fun stuff. Dude, I know. It's, it's, it's fun because like when, when we first met through like the OCVR meetup, it's, it was one of those things that was just a, it was a passion thing. We all like VR. VR is cool. Let's just all hang out. And then we would get together in like these small little groups and we'd either talk about things or we'd drink and show things off that we've made or we'd like get together and build things. And like you were always there like building and creating and just chilling with all the people and you know, uh, I, I miss that pre-pandemic, you know, good times, get together and, and have some fun together. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've told people before, like, you were kind of the reason that I really got into VR, to be honest. Like, I mean, I, I got into VR, I saw the, the stuff a little bit, but then when I went to the, had I not gone to a, the hackathon that you guys had hosted, I mean, I probably wouldn't have even started a YouTube channel, right? Because I never would have gotten into VR never gotten into talking about that and into just going into YouTube stuff. But going to that hackathon and like experiencing building a VR game with uh -huh. a bunch of other people who were also weird nerds like me that were interested in this stuff and like didn't care that it didn't look real and was slow and laggy at first, you know, and like all excited. So like that, yeah, it, it was great for me. And I mean, it was a big, it made a big difference to just being able to go share that experience with everybody else and, and really dive into this stuff, you know. Dude, it was so meaningful for me to just be a part of it. And I, you know, when it first got started years ago, I didn't know anything about the space. It was just like, this is cool. No one's, no one's doing anything. No one's showing how, how do we figure this all out together? And like that coming together for the hackathons where we could all walk around and help each other and learn. And it was so fun. And it was also like, it's just really, you're right, cool to just be around other people that were as passionate about it as, as, as you are and I am. Uh, and just to like, build and show things off because i feel like sometimes like i like the hackathons because it's that small window that all the things you ever say you're gonna do you actually get up and you actually do in a small little hackathon and you're like oh i'm gonna i'll build that thing eventually and now like you're with your friends so you kind of got to do it which is kind of cool yeah and you're time limited and there's lots of uh external pressure right you got like the group of people there working so like no wanting to give up or wanting to to wait and just get it done it really works. And the other thing I really like is that you get kind of a, a mix of skills, right? You'll get, like, go to hackathons. Mm -hmm. go with people who don't know how to code at all sometimes, but they make great music or great art, or they can combine other things. Or a lot of times, the, the better situation for me is, like, I go and there's another coder there who knows other things that I'm not as good at, and they know them well, and then we can kind of, like, trade knowledge and learn from each other while we're working on projects. Or a lot of times I'll learn some cool art stuff from artists while I'm doing them too. 
I, I have a blast like kind of learning and just seeing like what we can combine. Yeah, there's that coder cluster that happens. The coders kind of congregate together in a group, right? And they're like, and it's like, oh, you're, you're five programmers all together. What do you, there's no artist. There's no, you're like separate. Like, no, <laughs> just, just cluster together. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a box. I got a primitive shape here. There's nothing you can't make me do. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the coders can make some coder art. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's a thing. It's alive and well. What? What was the ha what hackathon were you part of? Was that at um, uh, Spaces? What do you remember? What the theme was for the hack that you were first at? Oh, I think the first one was education based, and I got to work on a project with Aaron. Yeah, yeah VR classroom. Was, yeah, a virtual classroom thing. That was really cool. I remember that. that oh God, that was 2016, I think it a was. A long time ago, yeah. Some and that was mostly his project. I just kind of got to hop on and help with it. He'd already kind of had it in the in the works. So yeah, it was really he, cool, though. Didn't he have like? I thought I remember like because because you could, I think we had people spend the night there, and I think like I came back. There was like he was doing like that late night. There was like that that Saturday night late night. Oh my God, I I I think I'm in too deep. It's like where you you lose sight of the tunnel you've gone into. And you're now like, <gasps> and you're just panicking with Red Bulls and all that fun stuff. I can't remember. Is that what happened with him? Because I know it, he, he ended up winning. I think he yeah, it, it, it won. I remember, I remember we went kind of crazy with it, too. Yeah. Like we, we did come out of some tunnels on that. Like, literally, I think we made some health simulator stuff in there, too, as part of the classroom stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you had that. You had a, you had a, I remember there's a classroom. You there's could a go to him. Coliseum, you'd go into the Roman Coliseum and it'd grow up around you. That was, yeah, one of the yeah. coolest VR effects I remember seeing at first, right? Because they're like standing there and it's like, oh, this is weird. It's kind of empty. And then all of a sudden, Coliseum starts shaking yeah. on up. Like, well done. <laughs> yeah. You could be a blood molecule. I think that you could do that. There's something like yeah. that. There's something. Was there a toilet seat? Toilet? Yeah, that was the one I think you could come out of. I think you were a blood thing or something and then it turned into something else. Because right? <laughs> the, the art, art looked a little bit different. <laughs> There is a little loopiness that happens. Is that kind of like uh, that, like that energy of like I've been up a little late, and I think this is kind of funny, and like is it kind of steer with that for that. Yeah, goes. I, don't, I don't know if that one actually made it in, but I, I think we we're just talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think you can shoot like uh, viruses and stuff going through the blood cells as a you were like a little a little ship blasting viruses. Wow, <laughs> a nanobot. So much. I love the energy, man. Like being a part of those things is so inspiring to see. It shows you all what we can make. It's just, but you do learn. I mean, especially because you you teach a lot of game development. Like there's like the energy to get up and going is one step, but then to turn that into like a fully released like game or application, there's like there's these tranches that you have to go through to be able to like carry on that energy. You know, sometimes sometimes they spin into business. Sometimes you spin into team. Sometimes that thing spins out. Um, what have you seen as a pattern, you know, from, from that kind of like ideation thing all the way out to like full on application that's out in the store? Oh, like from uh, actual straight up hackathon games? Well, it's or, hackathon or, or, you know, self-inflicted hackathon where you're, you're, you're in your room and you actually go and you build out a thing. You're like, oh, this is cool. Like, can you talk to me a little bit about that journey? Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, for, for me, like with, um. With a lot of games, I would say probably nine out of ten of the game projects that I start, I end up abandoning within like less than a week, right? I yeah. get into it and then I realize that it was not, it, it's just not the project that I want to build, right? 
So I, yeah. I'll constantly, and part of that is like just constantly watching stuff. I'll get inspired by something and then I'll get ready to try to try this thing off and never, never ends, <laughs> end up killing the majority of them. Right. But the, the things that I see really stay around or the projects that I see like really go like from beginning to actually launching are the ones where um, it, I think for me, at least I kind of know, like right from the start, like I, I get into it and within, you know, maybe the first week or two weeks, I'm pretty damn positive that this is a game that I need to finish, need to build and need to release and need to get it done. Now, whether and a lot of the time, like I'll make that decision there and um, it, it may not get to like the, the point that I, I can kind of envision it. Like I might at that point be envisioning something huge, but what I'll try to do is at least commit to releasing it so that if, if I get to the point where like, you know, I'm the two, three, four weeks in, and I think this is something that I need to do. I need to release it. I'll at least commit internally to releasing it at no matter what, what level I can get it to, whether, you know, so that I'm kind of locked in and building it out and getting it done. Now, um, I, I don't really want to talk too much about me specifically, just because, yeah. like, I, I don't know that I'm terrible at, at getting, or that I'm great <laughs> at getting games. Like, I, I can get them done, but, like, I, I there's a friend of mine who did something really impressive that, that uh -huh. I wanted to just talk about that I think sure. is more worth sharing that's a, a more repeatable, reusable, reliable strategy. So uh -huh. he's um, a software developer at, by nature mm -hmm. who's just used to writing code but not not game stuff at all right and not mm -hmm. so much in, in this stuff and he decided to to make and release a game and followed a, a relatively simple strategy of just dedicating a set amount of time every week to building games so he works full-time job has a wife and two kids it doesn't have a lot of spare time but just decided okay i'm gonna dedicate six six hours a week only six hours a week, I'm going to be a game developer. Two hours at a time, just two hour sprints, you know, three nights a week. Um, I'm going to plan out what I'm going to do because I don't have a lot of time. So he has a, a relatively good plan of what he wants to do so that when he sits down, he knows exactly what the thing he's working on is. It's already in a, um, in a tracking system ready to go. And with that system, right? So with that process of just being repetitive and literally just like the key thing of just locking that in, has been able to get a whole game done and released out on Steam in a year. So nice. start to finish, full game, solo, in a year, just out on what, Steam. So. Do you know what that like that weekly or monthly ritual for scheduling and planning is? Is it like Sunday nights he does his thing? Because, you know, sometimes at, at three nights a week at two-hour sessions, you can crush. If you got like over – because 90 minutes is that kind of that sweet spot of time. It takes the flow. Two hours – just past two hours, you get a little like – you kind of drop out of the flow a bit. But I'd be curious about the cadence of how does he plan? Like, how does he, what does that what does that piece look like? Do you know? So we talk. I talked to him a bit about it when I um, I did an interview with him a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. one of the things there were two points when he mentioned planning. Where one was kind of at the end of the session, so like when he was done working on the thing, what he was going to work on next. And then also is a weekly session where he shares his progress with a group of other game developers. And then mm -hmm. I think a lot of what happens is during that time, I'll come up with feedback ideas, things to work on, the next thing to do. Um, and that's part of his, part of the two-hour period, too. So working throughout that period while going through and everybody's sharing their feedback, that, that's kind of his two-hour chunk. And he's coding at the same time and building up that list. See, that's cool. Yeah, that's a, you know, kind of like a Gamers Anonymous thing going on. Yeah, yeah those games. And that is plans. something I highly recommend to any aspiring mm -hmm. game developers. Get a group of um, 
you know, like-minded people who want to do or are doing the same things that you're doing and meet with them regularly just to talk about how things are going, what kinds of things you're running into, um, see what, how you can help each other. I mean, it's not so much that you have to like help each other write your code and fix the code and stuff, but giving each other advice and you know taking a look at problems every now and then and also helping hold each other accountable. But it's really like getting real good feedback from peers instead of trying to get feedback from friends and family or strangers, right? Because <laughs> peers are a lot better at it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a power when we were doing like, you know, regular OCVR meetups and events like that, we'd have like demo nights where, you know, oh, next month there's a demo night coming up and you're like, I got to show something off. And then you, and you have those things. And then you have the ability of, there's a problem that happens and, and where people get into these vacuums where they don't talk to anybody. They get in these game dev holes or VR dev holes where they're in the silo. They don't look at anything. They don't, they don't, they don't connect to anybody. They don't do things. And then they'll get stuck on things where if they would just get outside of their shell and talk to people about it and say, I don't know how to solve this problem, or I don't know about this thing, or I think this thing's super new. Someone else can just, you know, another developer can just go, Oh, just add a comma or whatever it might be to the thing. And they'll get up and going, but there, there's that thing where people sometimes get in those weird silo holes. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, all the time. It, it's easy to fall into. It's not like I haven't done it myself before. Like, you know, being at a company for a while, and like, especially you get switched around teams and stuff. It, it, it's easy to kind of like fall into the hole of just working on stuff yourself, not letting other people see your stuff, really, not sharing your stuff. And like, if you don't share your stuff for a while it starts to feel uncomfortable to share your thing you know like just sharing your code and stuff if nobody's seen your code in three years like suddenly you feel a little anxious like is this good enough to share like can i share you know th and those kinds of things hop up and then you start to get more and more anxious and i feel like you, you can kind of get into this bubble of keeping things very yeah to yourself and it's terrible for just growth getting better and, and getting things done yeah that's 100. You're right. That that like I'm afraid to share my code. Afraid to like don't look. Nobody look. Like it's it's it. And you're right. It causes that pattern, that cycle where you then you then get you know it's like it's like the anti. -so the whole thing with the the COVID stuff is you get antisocial for being locked indoors, and then all of a sudden like you're like it now becomes weird to talk to people, which is you know. Oh yeah, and, I know. I get like that now too. I mean, not that I wasn't kind of weird like that. I was always <laughs> weird like that. It's, strangest thing is like i feel but, totally fine talking to people on the internet talking to people mm -hmm. on a microphone and camera like yeah. in person or for some reason like on a phone i just feel like a weirdo <laughs> like, <laughs> i feel like all uncomfortable like unless it's a friend like it's someone yeah. i know but like talking to random people i, I can do it fine on zoom no problem <laughs> it's the only yeah. place i feel comfortable talking to strangers. busted that wide open yeah the uh, <laughs> i feel the same way when i'm, when I'm talking around like if i'm getting around and talking to people about virtual reality development design things like that like i let's let's jam but also oh, yeah, people, yeah. people get into like sports talk uh like their favorite sports team i'm like i have no idea what i'm supposed to say here <laughs> do I, anybody play vr no, I like trying I don't to figure do. out which sport it is and if it's <laughs> yeah. the <VR> version. <laughs> I, well, I wear these. I it's I wear these uh, Manchester United uh, like like kind of sweatpants, and I walk around with them. And people are like, oh, you're you're a part of your fan of Manchester. I'm like, no, I, I just I just they're comfortable, and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> people probably say things to you all the time that you got no idea what they're talking about too. They do. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure like, like <laughs> it's just. So what, yeah. what, what, what I'd be curious is about, like, I've never, I don't think I've ever asked this about you. Like, how did you get into game development? And like, what did you, 
like what was that journey for you from young Jason to to where you are now? I don't that's think a, oh, that's that's a good one. Okay, um, so let's see. I mean, I, I started trying to make games when I was a little kid, right? Like I had no idea how to make games, but I got like my first computer when I think I was seven or eight, something like that. I had a Commodore sixty four. After like you know the shitty old little thirteen inch yeah. black and white TV, oh, I think sweet. eventually I got to hook it up to a color TV. Um, but it, <laughs> anyway, so I, I, on that thing, like I only had a couple games, so I would try to like make my own games as I got older. So you know, like you got to like ten, eleven, I would try to make my own games. They'd basically be like choose your own adventure text things where you know you you could play for thirty seconds and the game was over. <laughs> like, so cool. But yeah, it was, I was yeah. like, I, I would get really into it. And then it kind of dropped off of that for a long time. I mean, it still kind of dabbled with programming and game stuff. I didn't really do anything with it again until um, I was work. So I was working at Intel on server stuff. So working on like server automated testing stuff. Um, and I got a message from a friend of mine who uh, was a game master for EverQuest. So EverQuest oh. is like a video game that I used to play obsessively, right? I would play it nonstop, like First thousands of days of played time on my characters. Like just, it was yeah, a bad obsession, right? I played it more than my, my kid plays it's, games now. That it's like an OG wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just nonstop. Anyway, so he messages me one day and was like, hey, um, you know how to code, right? You want to come work for me? And I was like, <laughs> like so actually let me, let me rewind i hadn't played the game in like two years right uh-huh. i hadn't played everquest in a couple years one day i came home from work and i was like i'm just gonna log in to, i'm gonna patch up everquest log in and see if anybody still plays and say hi to the old guild because i had a guild and like a whole bunch of friends on there and hadn't talked to them in a long time yeah. i logged in i get a random message from the guy who was a friend who was a gm hey do you want to come work for me i'm going to this we're starting this new game company or you know or, or I'm at this, starting at this new job at this company, working on an MMO. You want to come work for me? I was like, totally shocked, out of nowhere. hadn't done anything for it or anything. Um, I was like, uh, yes. <laughs> like, all right. Uh, so I, I instantly got excited, started talking to him, found out the info, um, had a quick phone interview, and then told my wife, I was like, hey, babe, I think we might have to move to California because I'm going to get a new job. <laughs> and uh, we had just had, we had like two little kids at the time. And uh, I was, it, it was a little, it was kind of sprung on her. Anyway, like two weeks later, moved down to California, took the job, um, started working in video games. And it was a little bit rough at first. I got laid off like three weeks later because there was like a whole thing going on where the company was being bought out while I was in the process of getting hired. So they had already like figured out layoffs and stuff long before I'd even gotten hired. Just nobody knew that this stuff was coming. Wow. It was it was a weird. It worked out well because I ended up just getting a raise and a, a bonus for getting laid off and rehired. So, Same <laughs> but it was weird. Is that is that how is that we're gonna let you go and they're gonna rehire you as the new company? Is that what happened? Yeah. So basically, I got hired on. Three weeks later, I got laid off with a severance package, and then I got rehired like four weeks later with a bonus and a bigger pay. So strong i mean it, it, it was it was a weird situation that kind of sucked like going in like that it wasn't the, the best but it ended up no not working out terrible i mean it, for me at least like obviously bad for everybody that didn't get rehired yeah that's uh a... so, but yeah anyway from there just 
been in video games um, ever since, just working on MMOs and mobile games and VR games. And uh, VR, like I said, VR was mostly just you kind of inspired it. I got into it, thought it was neat, went to your hackathons, got really into it, released a whole bunch of VR games on Steam and stuff and had a blast with it. And then that got me teaching. So then after that, I was like, hey, I want to teach how to make this VR stuff. I mean, when I made my first VR game, I was actually thinking about teaching how to do VR stuff. Just ended up that my wife would play it, and that had never happened before. I made that <laughs> VR baseball game. My wife kept playing it and didn't put it down. And look, this has never once happened before where my wife wanted to play something I made. So I decided That's to release awesome. it as a, a Steam launch title. You know, that, that it's one of those, uh, the, the VR baseball game you made was, it was odd. It's, lack of a better word, stupidly simple, but really a fun, like trying to hit home runs with that in the distance. I remember just trying to yeah. crack those, crack those out and just trying to figure out what is, what is the magic secret for trying to do that? I thought, I thought I remember you putting like, did you put like ads up on the banners in the background or something like that? I thought you did something. Oh like yeah. That. I put, a, I put up, I think I put some OCVR ba- banners <laughs> up there and other stuff. Yeah. I put sweet escape banners on it. I was like, Hey, I got banners. Like if you're ever going to put an ad somewhere, like put it on a baseball field banner area. <laughs> it, 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 it was beautiful, man, dude. Like I was, that was one of the first games. And that thing was pretty successful for a while, right? Like it, oh, it did great. Yeah. That thing sold ridiculous numbers of copies. And like I said, I made it in essentially a weekend as a, as a test project to, to do a video for and just polished it up after that, obviously. But so then when, when you, so like, I mean, just look at that. You, you, you went, you had a hack. Then you was it because you realized that people were having fun? It was because your wife actually played it, and you're like, Mikey likes it, kind of thing. Or like, yeah, I was like, my wife likes it. It's like, if my wife likes it, like other people might like it. And then the weird thing was like, I would take it around to places, like to yeah. friends' houses and stuff, and there would always be one person that would just keep playing it until I tore it down. But like, I would have to. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be like they'd keep yeah. playing until I would take the thing down. And like, all right, I'll leave it. Like, I gotta tear it down. There's just like people that go in there for like hours, especially that were really into sports. And there wasn't anything else interesting going on for them, sports related. They're just sitting there, like having a blast with it. Dude, yeah, I completely agree. That you, you, that's where you needed to have, like, I know with Sweetscape, we had to put like three minute timers in there, just so otherwise people would just keep going. And like, you have to pull that, like, the like fake. Oh, I accidentally unplugged it. Oh, I don't. Uh, it looks like it's shut down. Sorry, just gotta. <laughs> My Been man. in there for half an hour. There's a line of people. You're like, because if you if you take off the headset, you're the bad guy. But if the if the if it just times out or if it just shuts down, then it's just well, such as <laughs> such as the luck, right? So, and so one just love to learn like a little about the journey about. So you made the you made the VR baseball, which I'm. Very familiar with. I think I have it on Steam. I got. I'm almost positive I have it on my Steam account. And then going through there, what were some of the other games that you made in VR along the way? And what were some of the things like that? Like, what was there ones that stood out to you that you thought was awesome that you really enjoyed on the journey of you making stuff in VR? Is there, is there like classics that you look fondly on, like VR baseball? Um, I don't know. So. When I went through the, the next one I made after that was like straight to a shooter, just because at the time there weren't a lot of shooters. And I was like, I got to make a shooter because this is easy and fun. Like, you can just shoot all kinds of stuff. And that also, like, I mean, financially did, did great and stuff. And it was, it was a lot of fun to work on and just a lot of fun to build. But yeah. it wasn't anything like super exciting or like unique, you know, where like it made me super thrilled. 
the one project that um, I never actually finished building, but I thought like had a lot of potential, just couldn't quite figure out that I really wanted to do though was a um, jetpack style game with just mm-hmm. virtual reality jetpacks that were hand thruster controlled. I had a lot of fun, like flying around like that and controlling like that. Um, I just never could come up with a fun, a fun enough game, right? That wasn't like you know Spider Man or Iron Man, right? Like I, I I could come up with like Spider Man or Iron Man copy, but like something else that was kind of like unique and fun with the flying around and controlling stuff. So I'd always want, but yeah, um, yeah, no, <laughs> it's it, it, more it, me complaining about things I didn't do than talking about cool things that I did play. <laughs> yeah, it, you, you get these cool mechanics, but you don't know what to do with the cool mechanic once you have it. Um, like I know Population 1 did a good job at dropping in where you can kind of fly around in the beginning and then you land and then you can climb and you can shoot things. And it's like blending together Sweet Escape, the shooter, the flying. They, they took cool mechanics and they put it in like some sort of story format or whatever that made sense. Um, but that's, a, that's the thing. Sometimes you make a cool mechanic, but you don't know how it fits into a thing. Um, and then you don't know what to do with it once you have it because you could just fly around, right? Or... Uh, I would like to see. There's an old game. I don't know if you remember this one. It's an old game called Super Metal Warriors. Do you ever hear about that? I don't know no. if I have. Ugh, one of my childhood classic games. I think it was Super Nintendo. It might have been Nintendo. I'm pretty sure it was Super Nintendo. But you'd be these. You'd be, there'd be three or four different types of robots, giant robots. A big, heavy tank-like. Um, a middle, a middle one that was kind of like a warrior, and then like a flying beast that just only flew. Right? And what was great about the game, you'd be in these different maps. And when you'd go and you'd shoot them, the thing would get damaged. And if, and if, it, got, if it got too damaged, it would blow up. Or you could eject. And then you're, ba- you're basically the little flyer guy about the size of a pixel. And you'd fly away as the other guy just tries to shoot you with this giant machine. And then you can get into these like little crevice spots where you could go behind a hole. And then also get into another bot. And then the battle would resume. And it was a really cool combination because of the power exchange of, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, you'd be the flying guy. And the big heavy guy could blow him up. And then all of a sudden, you'd, you'd, you'd switch bots. But it was a cool combination between giant Super Metal Warriors and these little flying bots that you'd go around and you'd play around in. Um, and so it is kind of the things like those classic things that I see that uh, we're making an arena shooter that's not necessarily the same thing, but those elements of the different power dynamics and people coming together and how they play against each other. It's, it's that taking what was magic of being a kid and kind of reinventing that into this new VR space. Um, so when you say the flying mechanic, that's what comes to my mind is like, how do you apply that mechanic in a new way that actually is like a coherent story? That's, that's so, always the hard part for me. <laughs> and mixing it all up. I have fun experimenting with it, but like combining it into a fun game is like the hardest part for me. Do you have like do you have like a design process or is it all about development? Is there is there is there is there just straight I'm gonna build it see if it's cool or is there? Is yeah, there and then I ask a designer how to make it fun. And my design <laughs> process is like build it out, think it's gonna be good, and then I go, hey, hey, game designer buddies, uh, you wanna hop on a call with me and tell me how to, how to make this into something fun? And then they fill my head up with crazy ideas and I go from there and then uh, come back to them constantly. That is a lot of what a designer does. They, they come up with crazy ideas and they draw. They come up with great figures. ideas. And yeah, like every time I talk to one of my game designer friends, I just get amazing ideas that improve things. Like I'll, t- I'll show them anything and it just gets improved dramatically you know, in two minutes of talking. 
And at, at a point, like, I'll have to tell them to stop. I'll call them back because they had too many things to work on after, like, five minutes, you know. <laughs> well, it's that, uh, you know, saying one word, one mechanic is, wouldn't it be cool, which is always a sign of feature creep, <laughs> right? Which is the preemptive feature creeping. Wouldn't it be cool? And then they insert a mechanic, and then it's going to take you a week or whatever, a day, a week, you know, however long to build that thing. So they can, it's just, the, it's it's so easy to kick that out. But taking all that stuff and weaving it together is, is a bit of a trick. I didn't even realize for a while, I didn't realize that there was a designer was a thing. I just thought artist developer, artist developer, and then realized that, oh, no, you need to have something, you know, you can, you can do those things. But if you actually had someone dedicated, they kind of, they kind of lay out the train tracks as, you know, the, uh, as the artist and developer builds the train and drives down the tracks. So Right. And usually the designers are doing um, quite a bit of the implementation stuff too. They're doing, they're doing kind of a mix of the, Figuring out like what actually should be there, and then putting the things. They're kind of like combining all of the stuff. Think of the designer as like the person that slaps together the art and the code um, with yeah. some help from the the from both, right? Like they get the art. They need some help from the artist to set up the lighting and, and all the other stuff in the scene, and then they need some help from programmers to set up some stuff. But a lot of the like actual game setup and like putting all of the content in game, like. You do not want your artists doing that or your programmers doing it because they're not going to do as good a job, and it's just not a, a, a good use of their time. <laughs> you you, you want to have your designers who are who are skilled at doing that kind of stuff, and that that's what they love to do doing that. Yeah. So, what excites you about like teaching and teaching game design, and what areas right now are you are you, that you know really excites you? Um, for me, it's just like I just like watching people um, learn how to code. Like seeing people learn how to make new stuff and then seeing them send me their new stuff that they make or their YouTube channels that they've started where they start sharing their things or their games that they've released and gotten out there. That's always kind of a blast for me, just like watching people that learn stuff and get these new skills and be able to make the things that they kind of want to make. Like I can already make the games that I want to make um, and I just do those in my spare time. But it's neat to like be able to give that skill or that ability to other people. Um, especially kids. That's really cool. Like watching like little kids learn how to code is a blast or um, yeah, high school kids and stuff like giving them something like they can start with right away and then just kind of jump in and anybody can do it. Like you can just learn how to code from home. All you really need is like a computer. You can use a crappy little laptop and a small internet connection. You can get to a YouTube video. You can make a game, you know, got a, a gig of hard drive space to download the editor and you're good to go. Maybe two gigs, so, yeah. and two <laughs> gigs of hard drive space, a little bit of RAM, and a and a system. Like the only thing really stopping you is time and an effort. Yeah, I, I remember when the two gigs was the max space on a computer. I, I remember going back then and looking at those things, looking at the RAM. And they came out with like gig hard drives. Oh, yeah. oh, I think my friend went into debt like many thousands of dollars to get gigabyte hard drive. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. So I, see, I see terabytes now. I'm like, what? Uh, they're on a little flash drive in your pocket yeah yeah and you're, you're right what's really cool is when you see little kids like young kids that are like i see nine-year-olds come to the hackathons where their mom comes and drops them off and they go and build things and develop things and you're just like you're nine like how are you doing this and they're just like there's so much energy that they can just dump into it and they just obsess on it and it's really cool to see them like 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 progress and even keep like in tow with like some other people and like their their ability to just absorb information is is like crazy so it is 
yeah. it comes a lot earlier than people think too. It's weird. My wife always tells me like that kids understand more than people give them credit for, and people like treat kids too much like little kids or like babies almost. But and I kind of think she's, she's right because I see like when you just constantly teach kids things, like you can teach kids anything. Like kids riding horses when they're like three years old and stuff, like jumping motorcycles and stuff. Like you can teach them pretty much anything. You just gotta give them a, put a little effort in there and show them the stuff. You now, like totally the, safe. I don't want to go too long on this, but like the one of the funnest things I did was when my kid was in fifth grade, I got to go mm-hmm. into their class and like teach all those kids how to make flappy birds. So I had to go through like teach each like, teach them in little groups of four and five how to make a Flappy Bird clone like from scratch like here's how to make it. I didn't touch the keyboard; it's just them, just me stepping them through it, and uh, they had a blast. And I could see at least a couple of them getting really into it and excited about it. And see, all of them really, almost all of them, understanding what was going on and that that it wasn't just like magic that makes Fortnite that they were playing on their phone or the little game that they were playing that. It's really just these things moving around and that they can control those things. So it is yeah, magic. That, that was that was a blast for me. <laughs> it is magic. I don't know what you're talking about. Code is magic. Code is straight magic. <laughs> you can you can you in in a virtual world can actually say, Oh, I'm gonna shrink you down to this big and then I'm gonna put a rocket on your back and you're gonna fly around the space and you're gonna experience all of that, you know. It, there, so it is absolutely magic. It's just you just use I'd say zeros and ones, but you know, if then statements, I should say, to, to really make that possible. And so it's like you're talking before about being a programmer uh, and uh, like networking code and things like that. But then when you go to build things in in a in a virtual world or in a game engine, you know, when you program a thing and you hit a button and then a giant explosion happens, that's that's that the I did that magic spell book. To me, that's. Oh, I, you say it's not magic. I, uh, I feel, I feel like it is. I guess it's more like giving them that the the power of that magic. I guess, right? Yeah, you know, that, like it's not it's not magic that's out of their hands, right? It's the kind of thing that they they could do too. You Harry Potter <laughs> them, yeah, yeah. You're Gandalf. You got the beard and everything. No man, uh, or Dumbledore. The uh, but you you look at that and so many times in like everyone's life, right? They're they're a lot of like experts in the space. If you go and talk to them, you're like, well, what made you an expert, or what happened? There's sometimes there's, there's there's stories where they're like, well, I was an ordinary kid and this guy who seemed like he had superpowers came up and he did something so cool. I wanted to figure out how he did that cool thing. And so I got obsessed with it. And then all of a sudden, years later, I became that dude that can then do that thing along. And so for you to walk in these kids to show them how to make Flappy Birds, you basically gave them the gift of the thing that they love most. You gave them the ability to make that thing, which is like super cool. And it was fun. And, and for me, it was also a learn, a really good learning experience because I got to see all of the kinds of things like, like what are the kinds of problems that even like an eight-year-old is going to run into? Like, yeah. how can I address those so that I can teach things in a way that even an eight-year-old is going to understand it and not miss like the little nuances that people are going to get afraid to ask. So it was like a good learning experience for me right. too and just a blast and uh, also, my kids still coding over there. I can hear them typing away. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Well, on the journey of being a coder, you kind of get this thing where, like, you you learning code, like you're learning a little bit of like, oh, I, I understand it. You build your first game, but there's also that like whole imposter syndrome that comes up, and and that whole journey. Do you can you talk to me a little bit like the like the emotional journey that you've seen people go through as they learn to become a programmer? What do they first start out with, like? 
I'm not a programmer. I don't know how to code. I can't build games to like, I am one. So they have that identity. Like what happens along that journey? What do they need to learn? How much time is it? Like what is like a little here a little because you've, you've, you've brought so many people through that path. Sure. Uh, I think um, a lot of the time people just start off thinking that it's impossible or that they don't like math, so they can't learn how to code. It was mm -hmm. really weird because I, mean, I kind of thought I didn't really think the same thing, but I used to think that coding was a lot of math. And part of that is like if you have to do machine language coding or like a lot of assembly stuff, it's a little bit more mathy and it's a little bit more of a pain. But wow. um, it really is. It's not <laughs> like that's not it's not math related at all. All code is is like learning a language. It's it's a lot like learning Spanish, but easier. I was never able to pass my Spanish classes. I think the best I got was like a D in Spanish, but <laughs> C sharp I could read really easy because there's only like 20 words in the entire language. But when yeah. when you realize that like with with code, that it's really just like a certain there's a certain number of instructions and certain number of things that you can do, and that number of things is really small. It's like you know, 10 to 20 things total. Once you kind of get an understanding of those, which I'd say probably takes most people around a year or so, that's when people start to feel, I think, like a programmer and they start to get really start to get a lot more confident. And then the, the interesting part, because you talk about imposter syndrome, right? That doesn't really kick in yet, right? So like mm. I'd say right around a year or so is when when as a junior developer, like you're you're starting to feel pretty confident because People can ask you to do things and you might not know how to do them, but you can definitely like Google how to do it and fig probably figure it out for, you know, 50% of the things or more, right? And yeah. so that, that starts to come around like the first year or so. And that's assuming that, you know, you're in a, an environment where they're not asking you crazy senior hard stuff, like where it's appropriate level stuff. Um, and, and I would say like around a year, you'll be good with that. And then at about two years in is probably where, where most people seem to start getting a little overconfident, right? At two years in, people think like, hey, I've been doing this for a very long time. At least it's happened to me and a lot of my friends. Yeah. Right? They start yeah. to think like, hey, I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I know what I'm doing. I can make this thing really pretty and really cool and do it really quick. Um, so it's really good. <laughs> like, like not realizing like there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, but you start to get faster and kind of like into these processes and start to get really good. And then. Uh, for me, what happened later was a couple of years later, you start to realize like you'll come across problems, right? So you'll start to come across problems with the stuff that you've done in the past or things that you've yeah. seen or new problems that are a lot more difficult than what you used to run into and quickly realize that like don't know nearly as much as you thought you knew, right? That there's a whole lot more going on that like you just kind of ignored and didn't really understand. And that's when I'd say the imposter syndrome really like starts. <laughs> that's when you're like, wait a minute, there's a whole bunch of crap I don't know. And there are a lot of people that do know this stuff. When you start to realize that there are a lot of people that know a lot of things you don't know, that's when it starts to kick in. Um, eventually, though, I, at least for most people, the way, not that you'll ever, I, I, most people don't really ever completely get rid of that, that feeling of like, do I really know what, what the hell I'm doing? Or like, is this all just nonsense? <laughs> like, but like, I guess like for, for most people and for me, what happens is just like you get through going through learning the stuff and trying to figure these things out constantly. And that, that fear, that imposter syndrome will drive the learning and the growth and just kind of get you better and better at what you're doing. At least 
that's what I've seen for most people. Uh, some people get it and then freak out, quit, and then go do something else, especially if they if they're feeling that imposter syndrome and then something goes on at their company and there's some layoffs and they lose their job and then suddenly they think that oh hey it was right it was me like and really it's probably not it's just that you know company was downsizing and they got rid of people or they got rid of the whole team a lot of time with game companies like they wiped out the entire team right they shut down the whole studio or something yeah. so i've seen people do that but a lot of time people just eventually start to grow or get over it or start just communicating more with people and it's easy to stay in that imposter syndrome mode when you don't talk to other people and you don't communicate, share with other people and learn from other people constantly. Um, mm. I feel like that kind of really just knocks it right away. The second you don't know something and they're talking about it, I like, can just have them explain it to you once, once you've got you know, these people that you're talking to all the time. Wrapped up. That's super interesting because you're talking about, you know, first you start out of inspiration, like, wow, this is really cool. Look what I can do. And it's like, it's so simple. And you get along the thing and you get good at the simple thing. Right? So you start to hone those skill sets and you get really good at, you know, uh, slamming through projects. Oh, I have this feature. Get it done. Bang. Get it done. You start moving through this process. And then you start to get that mid-level full of yourself kind of thing. You know, you're like, ah, I know this. I'm super senior. And then and then you start to move into other areas um, for coding that you realize, oh, actually, these whole other subsections, I don't understand or I don't understand the full game engine or whatever those pieces might be. And you're like, <sighs> and then the fear drives you. Because you're like, oh, I maybe I I've 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 put up this identity that I know everything, but I don't, and I know I don't, and so I need to figure this out so that I I don't like let myself and everybody else down around me. Then you're off to the races to try to just gobble up that information. And if you're if you're willing to get vulnerable and just ask people, hey, I don't know what that means, you know, I don't know what a delegate is or whatever the thing might be, then it just then you can just over time just naturally get better and better until finally you just kind of recognize that you you are senior you now you you understand all the the nuances and the and the that they're you know yes i could solve this this quickly this way but i could build it out these other ways and be more stable or more robust or more scalable or more you know another another way to, to tackle the project so is it is it really being able to to see a project but then see multiple paths to be able to execute it is that kind of what would make you the feeling of being um like mastery over the, over the art code? Um, kind of, and I guess part of it is being able to see what the, um, what the pitfalls are going to be and avoid them. I and mean, that's kind of the biggest value. Uh, I'd say like the, the biggest difference between like a junior or well, like a mid-level engineer and a senior engineer um, would be knowing what's going to go wrong before it goes wrong and preventing that from happening. Uh, or and not not going down those paths and a lot of time it's because they've done that before they've seen it done before um you know very very few people make it to, to knowing how to not make mistakes without making the mistakes themselves and living through them once and seeing the the side effects of your your spaghetti code or your your big mess <laughs> or your your little hack that you just kept adding on and on and on and then suddenly you had to redo everything or you know, whatever the problem is. And it, it'll be multiple of those problems, I think, throughout the career. And then you start to see, okay, there are some patterns and some other things that I can do to kind of avoid this and some some tricks that I can use to kind of minimize these things. Um, yeah. It's a really good thought process too, because yeah, what it sounds like the difference between like a mid and a senior is, is like, I'm imagining whack-a-mole, is that you give a mid hammer, a mole comes up, they whack it. Ah, I'm good at whacking, I'm good at whacking moles, right? But the senior person goes, no, no, you don't even want to use that. You said, don't even go over here. Just leave those moles alone. You want to go this way. Avoid that whole problem altogether. 
and just just carve a path over this side and that that way it's 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 being able to map a path and see someone go down that path and be able to already build ahead of that so those problems never come up and are never a thing is that the... that's, that's very very much it and kind of it's kind of just a spectrum of how good you are at that for how senior you are at the project and i think it's also going to vary like how good people are at that based on the type and scale and size of the project too, right? Like some people are very good at that on a, on a small scale. Some people are very good at, at that only on a large scale and only at that part, but not the implementation part at all. They're very good at the high level architecture side, um, but they, they're not you know, really on it on, on the low level performance related side stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think in general, the better you are at that, the more senior you are. Yeah, there's uh, there's kind of an, not necessarily an upper limit. You just keep going, and then you know eventually you become John Carmack. You know, as it, as it goes. I think he was just kind of born that way, though. I don't know. <laughs> I guess yeah. I, he went through that path, that 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 process really early. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I know. I talked to Dave Taylor. He was on the podcast previously, and he's like, he's like. David Taylor's like, am I really this bad of a coder? He's like, I was the best in my college. I was like the best. He's like, I'm not, he's like, I'm, I am dirt. He's like, I don't understand this. He just didn't realize just how senior seniors can get. You know, it's, oh, it's not, it's not a one to one. Like I'm a, I'm a weightlifter, so I can lift 600 pounds and you can lift 400 pounds and whatever it might be. It's like, no, no, like super senior coders, they can lift thousands and thousands of pounds compared to someone who's doing like a five pound, you know, dumbbell. It's just, it just there's. The upper limit just doesn't just doesn't stop. Yeah, I think they're pretty rare though. Carmax aren't aren't, aren't too common, right? That's, that's why everybody knows his name. And <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. So I know. Well, it'd be great if you uh, start making mini Carmax out there with what you're doing. You got some 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 young YouTubers that follow you that are like that just start to because there, there's got to be there's got to be some young nine year old Carmax out there that are oh. like that that are just just getting there because as we go, you know, we the Michael Jordans or the whoever else comes out there, and then there's other people that model that, and they can just do it so much quicker because we didn't have YouTube. Carmack didn't have YouTube, you know. Didn't have the internet, yeah. or, or or a game engine, or yeah. Make your own game engine, God! Can you imagine that? Oh, go figure out physics. I'll, let me know when. You, <laughs> let me know when you're back. Uh, <laughs> we gotta go learn physics real quick so I can yeah. build it into computers. <laughs> <laughs> We're so lucky. So talk to me a little bit about like what you got going on because uh, with your YouTube uh, channel and with everything that you're doing. Um, I know you used to do uh, Unity 3D College and you evolved to being online now. What you what do you got with your programs? What is it like for people to go through them? And and I just love to learn a little bit more about that. Oh, sure. Um, so mostly I just put everything on my YouTube channel, which is just my name on YouTube. And then um, I've got a site up at game.courses where I have some paid courses and some uh, free, well, I have one free course and I'll add some more free courses sometime soon. You kind of go through and learn game development and get some quizzes along the way to make sure that you're actually understanding it and stuff. And just go through the process of learning to build a game. The uh, free course on there is like an Angry Birds clone to go yep. through and just basically make like Angry Birds, but you can add in your own stuff and there's a bunch of extra birds and stuff so you can drop them in and change up uh, how they mm -hmm. work and stuff and just kind of learn the basics of how to make a game, how to go through the game flow of like having a player there, killing some enemies, getting some points, that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's mm -hmm. a lot of fun and it's pretty easy to approach and the course part is broken into like little five minute chunks so you can just kind of jump in, go along as much as you want, and then continue. Or a lot of time on YouTube, what people will do is just go in, 
they'll start going through tutorials and they'll leave a little comment to remind themselves where they left off to. But I think whatever they do is jump in and start making games now. Yeah. On that note, like, what advice would you give if there was a nine-year-old or a 99-year-old that, that wanted to get into this that hasn't ever started? Like, what is the pitfall that you see on people just taking those first couple of steps? Um, what causes people to mostly drop off? What causes them to quit or get frustrated and rage quit? Or, and what, you know, what advice would you give some, some young hero out there that's trying to, trying to level up their, their mastery of code? Uh, oh, I think the thing that helps people the most to really make it stick is getting it finished. So get it going through and actually finishing and releasing out a little game. And that's not a big thing at all. Like not, you know, that can be a two hour project or a three or four hour project. What, what I would recommend in general, though, is find a day where you don't have any other commitments, where there's not going to be somebody coming in saying, hey, we need to leave and go do this or you got to go do this or something else going on. Right. We have a relatively free day. Um, grab the tutorial. Like I said, I like the the Angry Birds one that I have. It's just on YouTube or on the game.course site. And um, just start going through and build out the entire thing. Like finish the game. It, it's not too hard. It's just step by step, go through the process and then release it. What, what happens is like once people release the game, which is very simple, it's like a two click process to release yeah. your game. Right? You build it and push it out there. You'll get a web build instantly. Or if you want, you can go through like an extra five minutes and put it out onto your phone. Um, uh-huh. But go through that process and release it and share it with people. Because once people share it and like see other people try their thing out and like they know that they've built it, it suddenly becomes like passion, <laughs> at least for a lot of people. Like they get excited about it because people have seen what they did. Like building a bunch of code and nobody ever seeing it and it never running is nowhere near as exciting as building something and people going, oh, wow, you built that? <laughs> Like, oh, like it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be amazing. People will still be amazed that you built it. And if you're a kid and you built it, like people will give you money and prizes and awards and stuff. They'll go, wow, that's amazing. Here's a scholarship, right? And definitely the kind of thing that I I would recommend. What that makes me think about is the first meetup. hmm, I think it was May 2014 was the first meetup. I don't know if you were there for that, but I'm... I said, I was like, I'm going to make a game. I'll make a VR game. And I'm going to come in and show it off. And I, I, I made a VR Bomberman where it was a first person perspective of being Bomberman and you'd run around. And like, of course, things didn't work. And I was just like, ah, gotta, I'm going to, sh- I told people I'm going to bring this in. I told them I'm going to bring it in. And then I just remember like turning on the camera like we have right here and like recording because it got to work, of course, the late night push got people through it and then people would go in they put the headset on and they'd laugh and they'd giggle and they'd run around and they'd blow up things and i'm sure it got people sick because i was violating about 17 different rules of vr and it was just amazing but that you're right that the joy you get from sharing what you made with someone else and watching them get joy from it that right there is like it's an addiction right when and that could happen with i don't know telling jokes i can tell with building games um but you're right but it's so terrifying you built this thing and like your, your identity is attached to this game and you just, I don't want people to judge my flappy birds, especially because I know it's broken and, or whatever the thing might happen. So that's so cool, man. That's yeah, I so mean, that's cool. the thing that makes me love game development so much, right? You get to make, write code and share it with people and people care. <laughs> people, it's one of those things that in very few um, businesses or art forms or anything that you do is the, is the um, I think the adjective is play is they they get to to play your game you know some people go to work 
but they get to play your game. Like my, my niece and nephew were super pissed at me because I spent the holidays with them. Um, and, uh, and I was there with the visiting family and Monday through Friday, I was doing work. So I had my VR headset on and I was playing my game and they couldn't play it and they wanted to play it. And like, no, Uncle Dylan's working. And, and I'm like, they're like, he's not working. I can hear him giggling and shooting people. He's not. And they'd slide notes in the door. Can you come out and play circle? Yes or no. And so, so it's, you're totally right. It's one of those very few spaces that you can be in where your work is play. And it's, it's, it's super rewarding. Or um, people are waiting, waiting to do what you're working. Your work. Yeah, totally, totally. Like, hold on. Can you imagine like giving someone else like like some other type of work? You know, here's a hammer and a nail. Go build something. Um, oh yeah, but, that's like my toddlers, right? They, they, they might do it, but after that, <laughs> like I want to do the cash register. Yeah, <laughs> they'll just go hit each other with it. Um, <laughs> that's what so, they do now. Yeah. So if if um if people wanted to get a hold of you. How would they reach out to you? How would they get a hold of you? Is it? I know. I think for the. I think in this podcast we have your name in the, in the on the on the stream, uh, Jason Wyman. But yeah, how do they? How do they get a hold of you? How do they sign up for the course? Um, yeah, just uh, shoot me an email. Just Jason at Game Courses, or Jason. anything at that. I think really redirects me. But Jason at Game Courses. Jason. Yeah, and then just check out the site. Um, check out the thing. I definitely go through the free course first. See if it. Uh, kind of thing you're interested in but i think everybody should at least try to code and try game development and even if you don't like the um like you get into it and you're like yeah this isn't really for me the coding part still might be and you could end up like going through and just the the code that you write for a game like this is very similar to the code you write for a web page or an enterprise app or you know a phone app or something like that so it's the same kind of skill so if you like it and you decide you don't really like game development but you do think the coding thing was kind of cool you can always make that transition and the language is kind of the same. You can use C sharp and all those things. And yeah, it's, it's fun stuff. I, I recommend everybody try it out. Yeah. C sharp. Go make super a game. Yeah, go, go make a game. Come back and share it with me. Yeah. No, it's right. Yeah. Try it. Try that. Try smart. Try the design. Combine it all together. Show up at a hackathon and go build some stuff. Um, oh, real quick. Yeah, totally. And if you need art, don't forget there's a ton. Like, so one of the things that prevents people from getting started is thinking that, they need to learn how to make art or they need to like go learn blender and maya and start making all this art first before they can learn how to make a game don't do that unless you want to be an artist if you want to be a game developer like just buy some art or get some free stuff on the asset store or open game art there's a ridiculous amount there's no excuse you can make any kind of game with free art um you're not making like your first game isn't one that you're going to make and release on some brand new ip anyway just yeah. go use free stuff um don't let that stop you yeah. And the, one of the rules that I've always heard is that if it's fun with cubes and squares and those chips, it's going to be fun with beautiful art. And it's like, can you, you know, it's a, uh, it's, uh, don't let that stop you. There's a lot of ways to get around that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jason, brother, it is super fun. Um, I look forward to the next in-person OCVR meetup we get to do. Spend some time. So maybe, what do you think? Should we do, got a couple options for you. Should we just do like, just get together and talk about the latest and greatest things? Should we have some sort of social gathering where it's like alcohol and like demos, or should we do like a hackathon? What do you think? I'm leaning towards the uh, the demos just because I'm tired, <laughs> <laughs> and I want to see what everybody else has been building and just kind of hang out at first. But I mean, I think a hackathon would be fun too. Um, but I want to start with some demos, see what everybody's been up to, and just kind of catch up with some drinks and stuff, and uh, 
So we'll, we'll let everybody present their cool stuff and, and show off the neat new simulators and crazy stuff that they're building. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do a demo night soon. Um, we'll, we'll figure that out. And yeah, I remember when the last hackathons, it was like getting towards Saturday, like night ish time. And you're like later, and you just like got in your car and like you 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 went. I'm like I was like, where's it going? He's like you're like you're like nah, I'm not gonna go sleep in the floor. Like you, had, I remember that you had a you had a clear game. You're like, look, I've planned my plan. I've got it worked out. Everything's working smoothly. I'm gonna come in tomorrow. Like you didn't you didn't do like the grind through to the end and then like suffer at like you know ten in the morning on a Sunday. Like I was like, well, that's a man who's got a plan. Like uh, I've gotten too old for it and too achy. <laughs> Like laying on a hard floor just kills me now, and uh, oh, I'm knocked out by seven or eight o'clock and up at four in the morning. So it's, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's all kinds of messed up. I feel really weird because I, you know, for the first thirty some years of my life, I was up until two a.m. playing video games, and then suddenly there's just like a weird switch. <laughs> back. You're, you're you're growing, man. You're you're passing that torch to your younger your younger uh, kid in the background who's typing away, who's going to be up way too late um, typing away and probably building some minecraft or something <laughs> oh i know that's it's the best though when i come down to tell them to go to bed and write and code like <sighs> <laughs> you're like you're like you gotta go to bed you're like i'm so proud i'm so proud <laughs> i love that brother jason man it's been beautiful let's catch up soon let's, uh, if we can meet up in person i'd love to um uh where are you at these days what's it, what uh, are you in san diego just outside la just outside hey, LA. Mary, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's get together, man. Hold on, little man. Wait. Okay. Yeah. You sound like your hands are busy. All right, brother. Hey, have a beautiful night. Enjoy the fam. Uh, enjoy the code, man. And I'll, I'll see you soon, brother. All right, man. Thanks. There you go. See you later. Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.